everybody welcome to fistful cinema podcast i am your host richard wickliffe and i'm your co-host gavin wabel and for this episode we will be reviewing the film the five bloods the five bloods is a 2020 american war film drama directed and co-written by spike lee it stars Daroy lindo jonathan majors clark peters norm lewis isaiah whitlock jr melanie thierry paul walter hauser and chadwick boseman film plot follows a group of aging Vietnam veterans who return to the country in search of the remains of their fallen commander, as well as the treasure they buried while serving there. Okay, so this honestly marks, I would say, our, the first film we've ever done that's literally has released in a week of recording this, I would say. I mean, we got to start like, somewhere. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. true, yes. <laughs> start somewhere, and this just happened to be one of the first films that was, I would say, in my opinion, worth the hype to see that came out during quarantine, this COVID-19 situation. So the timeline just worked out perfectly. Yeah, and this was, yeah, this was definitely a film that kind of creeped up on me. I, I knew of it, I remember. I remember when a Black uh, Klansman was at the Oscars. I remember Spike Lee was interviewed. And basically, yeah, he basically said, yeah, he was doing a Vietnam War epic. And at the time, I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. But kind of after that, it was kind of forgotten a little bit. And it was literally, I kid you not, like, I think two weeks before it was released, I saw, like, the trailer on Netflix after I finished watching something else. And I was like, oh, yeah, this movie's coming out. Yeah, well, then again, can you really think of any Netflix movies that have come out that have had a huge marketing campaign with them? I'm not talking about shows like Stranger Things or something, but think of a Netflix original movie that has come out that's had, like, huge marketing campaigns and huge pushes that you've actively seen i can't really think of any off the top of my head i think besides i think besides the irishman Irishman, because yeah, yeah but how many times that, that also you... had a th- that had a theatrical release too yeah it did. The, uh, this didn't because of the situation i bet it would have though i bet this would have had a theatrical release if covid wasn't a thing and it should have so i think uh first time because i've seen it once and i believe you've seen it once as well Yep. What were kind of your overall thoughts, would you say, on the, uh, on the picture? So my overall thoughts, I would say the first thing I noticed was it was a smaller story, even though it is supposed to be a Vietnam War epic about these soldiers going back to Vietnam and facing their demons almost in a sort of way while they're trying to finish their mission and honor their commander. It felt like a more smaller scale, more condensed story. So it didn't feel like there was a huge war raging or whatever, where you see in a lot of other Vietnam movies, it felt way more character focused. And I would say I liked the film. I didn't love it. There are a couple things like stylistic choices that Spike Lee made that kind of caught me off guard that I still don't know how I feel about. And I'll go into one of those right now, actually. So in a lot of the flashbacks he did, uh, yeah, every flashback he did, you know, Chadwick Boseman was young and everything because he was the commander at the time and it fit the age. The other actors were still the same actors. They were still the same old actors back fighting in Vietnam. And that kind of took me out of the film a bit because I'm like, okay, 
Well, Spike Lee obviously had a budget for this film. He could have found four younger actors to portray these war veterans to make it feel more realistic. Yeah, I thought I that kind of threw me off too because I think they could have made a transition where like we saw all four of the older actors and then like, okay, poof. Now we're in the 60s. Now the aspect ratio is smaller. Yeah, there was already that transition because I don't think it would have confused anyone because like you're saying, he already did that stylistic choice to make the aspect ratio smaller and to make it more fit the cinematic feel of what would have been in that era. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I, my only guess, if I would say, if, if anything, it was to put more focus on Chaswick, uh, Chadwick uh, Boseman, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. I think that in your, when you're watching it in the past, you don't want to be kind of almost thinking, okay, uh, which one's uh, this guy and which one's that guy, right? Because you're, you're juggling with two different actors now betraying. I think Spike Lee just wanted you to focus solely on Bozeman the whole time. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Totally. <laughs> Could be it, but yeah, I can see that it obviously was an intentional choice by him. Spike Lee is a very talented director with tons of credits under his belt and tons of like awards as well. So obviously he's not an idiot and he wouldn't do that by mistake or <laughs> no, something like that. I don't think he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I don't no, no, think no. he is either. <laughs> I'm going to go on a ledge channel. I would say I don't think Spike Lee's an idiot. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um... I, I know he's not. I know he's not. I, like I said, I know it's a stylistic choice, but it still took me out of the film and I would have preferred it to be something else. Nothing against the guy. Okay. Nothing against the guy. <laughs> no yeah i i agree i think okay so i think for me my overall thoughts too are pretty much the same i think it was a good film i don't know if i would consider it great yet i think oddly enough that's like how i feel with most like vietnam war films like the first time i see them i'm a, i'm kind of like okay what the heck was that like you know you're kind of taken aback by it and this was definitely one of those i think i'm definitely gonna have to watch it a second time really to kind of get it the second time and yeah i think to kind of add to your point it was a very personal film and i think once again to add a lot to to viet for vietnam war films a, a lot of them are very much about the characters it's more about the characters and kind of less of the mission right yeah. like i would say that or it's definitely about the mission but i would say the, the focus of the storytelling is about the characters I'd say. oh yeah like the characters are the driving force of the plot not the actual mission itself but there obviously is still a mission because it's a war but the thing that's interesting about this film as well is it dealt with the aftermath years later of the war and how it affected those characters it wasn't all set in the war it gave the war as a background so we kind of got to know those characters and what some of their motivations would be mostly paul because he sadly killed Jack Bozeman's uh, Storm and Norman by accident with Friendly Fire. And you found that out later in the film. But if you go back and think about that retroactively, you're like, dang, yeah, that guy, you could see where his issues came from and how those demons had haunted him for that long. And I thought that was an interesting take on a Vietnam War film. Yeah, it was. It was because a lot of it, or, okay, so yeah, the majority of the film... I thought it was just slowly just the PTSD that was slowly eating away at Paul, right? And kind of the rest of them, they're all kind of dealing it, dealing with it. 
in their own ways, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it was, was it David that had the daughter that he didn't know about? No, that was Otis. No? Otis. David Otis. is Paul's son. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, Otis. So, yeah, Otis was, in a way, he was obviously dealing with PTSD, but obviously he was dealing with just the kind of the the past, obviously, coming back to him, right? And yeah. Kind of, but obviously, I would say that the main, the main, main focus was Paul and him, as we find out at the very end, not only dealing with just the violence of war in general, but killing a man that he deeply uh, respected. I would say. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that none of those other characters really got that they all had that PTSD, but they didn't know he was the one to kill Norman. At least it was never implied that they knew that was the truth. And no, I I wouldn't say at all. No, I think um, that was definitely something that, because I think you can literally see he was being almost eaten alive by the guilt, the whole movie. And I think in his poor David, his son, he took it out on his son, right? Yeah. Oh, he did. <laughs> and all, and you can see that he took it out on David almost all his life because you saw they didn't have the strongest relationship when he first got there. He was like, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here and all that. Like, He never had that connection with his son that you would expect from a father and son duo. And something else, actually, that I did notice about that, like you're saying, is that whole time he's working to almost forgive himself and he can't do it it takes a vision of norman coming back to almost forgive him and ironically enough that's moments before his death yeah you know what's funny about that you know what's so super funny you know what that scene reminded me of freaking uh rise of skywalker with uh kylo ren seeking or having the vision of han solo it was the same thing right because both of them you know norman was not there han solo wasn't there it was Mm -hmm. in paul's mind and it was in kylo ren's mind it was almost they them themselves coming to terms what they did in in a way knowing that or not knowing i would say but feeling the forgiveness i guess for yeah he it's like they couldn't forgive it. The only way they could actually forgive themselves is if somehow the person they did harm to came back and forgave them. And in both right. those films, actually, like, as Han Solo says to Ben, he's like, no, my son is alive. Kylo Ren is dead. Like, it's right before Kylo Ren's metaphorical death and right before Paul's actual death. So it's almost like, when you're on the verge of death, when you're brink of death, you're doing everything you can to forgive yourself. And sometimes that's what it takes. It's just those demons coming back out of the back of your head and you have to face them face to face, literally. And I think that's, and I will say it, surprisingly, I didn't expect it, but there was a, a slight, almost religious aspect of the film. Cause I mean, the whole reason, you know, in Paul's head, when Norman forgave him is just, he's like, Hey, you know, basically I love you. God is love. Love is God. I forgive you. Right. <laughs> and it was a touching scene. It was very touching. And I was like, Oh, it's so cool how they able to wrap all this together. And just honestly to show 
and we can talk more about Chadwick, but just show just the person that Norman was and how he influenced his squad, I would say. Yeah. And I think, and if anything, I, I wish, I would say, if okay, uh, my biggest complaint of the film, if anything, it's a good complaint, is I wanted more Storm and Norman. <laughs> Like I honestly, I felt I I went back and looked at the trailer, and I think all the scenes in the trailer, I think except for obviously his death, were the scenes he had in the movie. I think yeah. like total, I might be wrong, but I would say maybe at, at total he had I wouldn't say ten minutes of screen time. And besides like pictures and them talking about it, I think Chadwick did a great job of kind of building up to like the legendary status all of his whole squad put on him. But even with that, I wish we would have gotten more of them. Like, okay, let's actually kind of hang out with them and Norman. And that kind of also goes back to, I wish they were all young around Storm and Norman because it would have made it, I guess. It, yeah, it wouldn't have t- taken you out of it. And it just would have been like, okay, let's settle down with them for a while, kind of. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because when, at least for that stylistic choice, like I said, when it took me out of it, I might have missed something Storm and Norman was saying, or I might have missed the actual impact of it because that whole stylistic choice just took me out of it for a second. And I feel like a lot of people probably had that issue as well because I know it's not just me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, overall, obviously, I it's a good complaint. I would say, if, if anything, like to also said, my only other like just slightly negative complaint actually is Paul and David's relationship. And I don't know if you kind of felt the same way, but kind of throughout the film until it was revealed, obviously, uh, Paul's wife died in childbirth because of David. You kind of, you see, it's almost like his, his Paul's frustration almost like fluctuates with David, right? It does. It's it like when David turns steps on the off. landmine. Yeah, it's like it turns on and off, right? It's almost like it's not consistent. So you kind of, you can attribute that maybe to the PTSD and he's on edge, but still, I think it's just, it's not that consistent. So I kind of lose it from time to time. Like, you know, when David yeah. stepped on the, the trip wire and then Paul literally just turned into the ultimate dad. He was like, okay, everyone, you know, grab the line and you know, everyone on, on three. You know what it might be as well because he wants to honor Norman. He knows that he was responsible for Norman's death. One of his co- squad mates, he doesn't want to be responsible for his son's death as well when he's put in that position he wants to be shown that he can be a leader right that might be that's what very it is true. as well that's very true yeah i think so i think i think just yeah i wish we would have once again like kind of uh, we wanted more norman i wish we would have gotten or just seen more of paul and david interact and then just kind of talking more speaking of them just going like switching back and forth about you know disagreeing with one another and then loving one another and just going back and forth, you could easily see as well just a theme that's very common in life itself, how greed and money corrupts. So, you know, right oh, when yeah. they got the gold, right when they got the gold, they started bickering with each other, disagreeing with one another. And before that, they were all in it together, just joking around with one another. But right when they got that gold, they had to decide how to divvy it up and how to use the different portions of it to whom and all that they split up mostly like paul yeah he totally abandoned the group and that resulted in him sadly dying yeah though that was definitely very apparent 
And I think it was, I mean, it's a definite cliche, obviously, like, you know, the second the, they find the treasure, that's when they start breaking apart. But yeah. I do think it was, it was done so well because, okay, they're also dealing with the fact of PTSD and for Paul's case, the guilt of killing Norman, all that. And um, yeah, so I would say, yeah, those, all those themes were done very well. And I'd say, honestly, besides that, I would say the biggest theme of, of the film, and it was shown very uh, a lot in the beginning was uh, civil rights in the sixties and just something that in modern media really hasn't been focused on is black troops that have served in the Vietnam war, the Korean war and world war two. And even before that, but I mean, even like, let's, I mean, can you honestly count how many, like, there's not that many it is not that i think this was a, a movie that was very much needed especially during this time it sometimes it was almost kind of funny i was like wow with all this happening and then a film like this coming out it is is kind of funny and it's well not funny it's it's more funny in, in the ironic sense but it yeah, was more it was it was sad and kind of watched in the beginning and i'm like oh my god like you literally see this today it, it's crazy just to think how you can compare our world today with the 60s. And I remember I made a joke with you a while back, like, are, is this decade going to be reliving like the 1960s with all this stuff happening? And yeah. after looking at this with all these civil rights issues going on right now, I'm thinking it possibly could be. And what a time for this film to come out. And I know Spike Lee, unless he's a prophet and can see the future, he didn't intend for all this to happen when his film released. Heck, I doubt anyone wants this stuff to happen, but you can't deny the coincidence. And I feel like this movie got to be much more popular than it would have been otherwise as a result of very similar social issues happening at the same time. And Spike Lee's really good at that, where I think he he offers just the truth, right? He doesn't yeah. try to sugarcoat it. I'd almost treat it like how, how Tarantino did it in Django Unchained, right? He, he didn't dance around the fact that, oh, you know, you know, slavery was this and that. No, he showed just how brutal it was. I feel and like with it, this and in the situation of the Vietnam war and even worse for them, it's like, okay, not only don't they have the equal rights coming back home. Okay. They're being treated the same way as other soldiers. Right. So they'll arrive home at the airports being called all these various horrible names. Oh, and on top of that, you know, they're in a country where the majority of people still hate them and hate their guts, regardless if they served or not. Yeah. And that's insane to think about it really is especially after all this time. Like, you would think that people would learn to forgive and forget, but when there's wounds that deep, you some people just can't, and it puts you in yeah. that predicament. Yeah, so I think, I know for me, it, it obviously encourages me to learn more about African Americans during various wars, and honestly see the treatment. It doesn't diminish the acts of other soldiers that serve, but at the same time, it is 
very sad how the U.S. government treated them during this time. Because and, they did the same, if not more, than a lot of Oh, soldiers. yeah. Well, it's... I think, yeah, I would uh, highly recommend to people that are consider themselves, you know, history buffs in the slightest. Um, there's a very good book called The Employment of uh, Negro Troops by uh, USC's Lee, and it was released in 1966. And actually, it was on Tarantino's reading list for his film, A Glorious Bastards, because a little slight history fact that people did not know, he originally had a subplot within the movie about a bunch of black soldiers that were basically screwed over by the American government. And they basically just went on this revenge killing spree in Europe. But the base of that story was with this book. So I think this is like a book like that is helps kind of lay the foundation of, okay, this is kind of like Vietnam. This was the sad truth of what happened during this time. And it's, you know, okay, 40s to 60s, it did not change. And I would say now, obviously, hopefully for the better in the military, it has changed. I cannot speak. I have not served, nor... Yeah. Uh, I haven't served either, so I can't. Family members. But regardless, um, yeah, I think it, it, it was good to kind of bring it to light, I think, the way uh, Spike Lee did. So, yeah. Um, I think you pretty much covered it there. That was really well said. Thank you. No, yeah, it was, it was, I, I would say this movie was a very much an enjoyable read, I think, or watch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the book. It was very much I mean, an enjoyable. Have subtitles are going to read it. We might have been, well, we'll have to see. I don't think it was, no, nah, it wasn't based off a book. Um, but anyway, um, it was very much an enjoyable watch. Um, I would definitely have to watch it, I think, a second time just to kind of help pick up on just various things. I will probably be able to understand Paul's character a bit better in terms of his PTSD, kind of knowing where he exactly comes from. Um, but besides that, um, yeah. what were kind of your so your rating, would you say? I would have to uh, – so before I go into rating, I just have one last thing to say. So I agree with you on that for sure. I would have to get another watch just to get a better grasp on what was happening. Now that I know what to expect, I can focus more on the smaller details that I might have missed when I first saw it. I would recommend seeing it just because of the cultural impact alone that it could have, especially during these times, because I'm someone who likes to stay up to date in the now and know the history of why certain things have happened. I'm very much like that, especially with certain topics I'm passionate about. So I would definitely say watch this movie just for that so you're more enlightened. Even if you don't agree with all the points, it's still good to know. And with that said, I'd probably give it, uh, at least for me, probably a 7.5 to 8 out of 10 because I thought it was good. I thought it's worth watching but there were just certain stylistic choices that took me out of the movie. And I feel like there are a few of them that could have been handled much better than they were. Yeah. I think I would be close to you. I think for me rating it, I would give it about probably seven out of 10. I, yeah. I you know, obviously my, my main issues is just the relationship between Paul and David and just having uh, Chadwick Boseman as Storman or Norman's uh, <laughs> Storm and Storm Norman. Norman and um 
giving him a little bit more screen time than what we got, I would say. Yeah. But all that being said, what made it a really good film was the acting. The acting was phenomenal. The, I, mean, I wasn't joking, man. The, the scene between Paul and Norman, like, literally shed me a tear. It was very touching. That was fantastic acting. If, yeah, it, it, was, it was great. Um, and as we previously said, the very much how it is so relevant in today's culture. I think the best way, you know, whatever, however your political views are, it doesn't hurt to learn about this stuff. It doesn't hurt yeah. to learn history. And not only that, unbiased history. Like this is just the simple fact of the matter of how, you know, black troops were treated during this time. Yeah. And so instead of having the ideology of ignorance is bliss, I'd say, well, I mean, you know, majority of people are at home anyway. Why not read, listen to podcasts and all that? Exactly. Yeah. In terms of movies, uh, but honestly, besides Spike Lee's many other films that have great social commentary, this is obviously new, and I think it will be very um, interesting to hear. Yeah, so, yeah, I honestly have to think of, what do you personally think the longevity or the lifetime of this movie will be where it's as relevant as it is now? Do you think it's going to be almost like a fad where it will fade away after these issues are resolved, or do you think it will be put in as a staple of like a 2020 film that was culturally relevant i'll say culturally relevant i think if any, it reminded me you know it it's still a lot of kind of uh imagery if you remember they had um flight of the valkyrie they had the yeah, kind they of did. they had the river you know going down the the narrow river um uh, very i think they even had the well. Yeah, yeah, they even had the Apocalypse Now poster, yeah, I think, I in the say, back yeah. of that. Oh, yeah, that they did at the club. Yeah, it was Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it was very similar in a lot of shots. And I guess thematically, in some ways, to Apocalypse Now. But, you know, I don't want to get talking about that yet because we'll have to save that film for another podcast. Yeah, so I think kind of basically I, Apocalypse Now, when it first came out, if anything, it was kind of like this. It was it was liked by critics, but it wasn't loved. I don't think people totally got it. But as the decades went on, the themes in it still remained the same. And it was relevant because it was, you know, it's even though it was a fictional story, the how it affected the people in it, obviously PTSD in, in the story is very real. And I think for this, it's obviously as well a fictitious story, but the way the characters act and are is very believable to say, okay, yes, this is, you know, the uh, veteran maybe experience, I would say. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, yeah. So I basically, long, long answer, <laughs> but I would say it will be culturally uh, relevant still many years down the road. Yeah. Hopefully, I hope. I think it will because I feel like it didn't sugarcoat anything. It didn't no, try to play it to be a cr crowd pleaser. I can't even talk right now, but yeah, it didn't try to do that. And because of that, I feel like it will be because I feel like if it did try to tone things down just to be more family friendly, it wouldn't. I feel like the most rel culturally relevant films are the ones that go all in to an issue 
and or a time period and actually show the actual impact it had on a place, a character, etc. Yeah, I very much agree with you. So yeah, so going all the way back, final rating for me, uh, seven out of ten. Yeah, I would probably say seven point seven five out of ten, just in between seven point five and eight because I need to watch it again to kind of decide which way I'm going to lean towards. Hey everybody, I believe that kind of wraps up this uh, episode. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. I hope everyone is staying safe, uh, staying very healthy during these times and uh, happy trails, y'all. Take care, everyone.